In Matthew 26, he went on a little farther. And he bowed his face to the ground. He prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, yet I want your will to be done. Not mine. And because Jesus went a little bit farther, abundant life is yours. Because Jesus went a little bit farther, peace is yours. Because Jesus went a little bit farther and bowed his head to the ground, pressed in, didn't quit, didn't give up. Joy is yours. Hope is yours. Faith is yours. Healing is yours. Miracles are yours. Baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues so you can talk directly to him and the enemy doesn't know what you're saying. It's yours. Breakthrough, turnaround in your life, in your family. It's yours. When you go just a little step further. Turn to somebody and say, don't stop there. Say, don't park here. Go just a little bit further. Don't you appreciate this band and this praise team? Adam and Olivia. I mean, have you ever seen such diversity? I mean, they can sing hymns. They can sing psalms and hymns. They can sing spiritual songs, making melody in their hearts. They can sing southern gospel. They can sing outlaw country gospel. They can sing (laughs) black gospel. They can sing contemporary gospel. And everything in between. They can sing a cappella. They can sing high church. And here's the good thing. Whatever they sing is anointed. Reed and I came over here last night. Came in here as we always do on Saturday night. I turned on the music. And what you've been experiencing for the last hour was here. He's always here. (laughs) When you come in here, the music doesn't even have to be on. You can sense his presence. When you get into his presence... Whatever you're walking through, gets real small. The storms that you're walking through get real quiet. The pain that you may be feeling diminishes. The circumstances that you might be dealing with, they seem to vanish away. In his presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. And you might ask, why do we spend this time? Why do we do all this? Is all this necessary? The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. 
when we come in and just spend time with him, something happens in the supernatural. And one of the reasons that we do it like this in corporate worship, and there's, there's something powerful about corporate worship, but we're trying to teach you that you can do this at home. We don't, we don't leave our house without leaving praise worship, playing in the house, changing the atmosphere, filling the atmosphere. When we come in and when we go out, his presence is there. When I get in the car, I turn it on. Sometimes I sing to the top of my voice, sometimes I just listen. But I'm always worshiping. And when you worship him, when you praise him, when you get in his presence, he inhabits the praises of his people. When you praise him, when you make up your mind, listen carefully, when you make up your mind, when you make a decision that you are going to be a praiser, you are going to be a worshiper. It will be the key, the password, the secret to your victory the rest of your life. Because whatever you need is in his presence. And so when you get in his presence, when you praise him, when you spend time in his word and you worship him and you adore him and you sing and Rejoice and dance. Some of y'all danced more in clubs than y'all danced in here this morning. You ought to be ashamed there. Some of y'all wouldn't even leave home till 10 o'clock on a Friday or Saturday night. And you'd go party all night, till 3 or 4 in the morning, and drinking stuff and smoking stuff and taking pills and snorting stuff. Acting a fool. And the whole time you were just looking for something to fill that empty spot that only God can fill. We, we have to learn to go a little bit further. That's what we have to do. There was a little woman in Matthew chapter 9. She had been bleeding, hemorrhaging 12 years, the Bible says. And she slipped in from behind and just lightly touched his robe. And she was thinking to, himself, to herself, if I can just put my finger on his rose, on his robe, if I can just touch his garment, touch his clothes, I don't even have to touch him. If I can just get close enough to touch his, his robe, 
I'll be well. And so she did. And Jesus turned, caught her at it. Then he reassured her. Courage, daughter. You took a risk of faith. You went a little bit further. You didn't just stand back and look. You pressed in. You pushed in. You took a risk of faith, and because of that, now you are well. And the woman was well from then on. In other words, she didn't go back to being sick. Oh, you missed that. She was well from then on. She went just a little bit farther. David, if you can pull it down just a little bit, it's ringing up here. I know we needed to be loud a minute ago so they could hear me, but I want to challenge you today. I want to take a few minutes. And I want to push you to go to the next level in your faith. I want to push you to go a little bit farther. When you feel like quitting, when you want to stop, when the circumstances seem overwhelming to you, I want you to realize that we are serving a supernatural God. He is supernatural. And if you will trust Him and you will not quit and you will not go back, the Bible says the children of Israel turned and went back. And did not go forward. Around here we teach you that everything about you was built to go forward. So I want to challenge you to get up when you fall. To don't, to not, not to stop, to quit, to give up. Don't turn around. But to get up and go just a little bit farther. If you will make the commitment to go to the next level. To go a little bit further. God will meet you where you are. God will meet you in your sickness. He will meet you in your struggle. Struggle. He will meet you in your pain. He will meet you in your circumstance, your situation. He will meet you at your lawsuit. He will meet you at your lack. He will meet you wherever you are if you will just go a little bit farther. Next slide. Go a little farther. In your faith. How many parents do we have here? If you're a parent. How many are a child? You're not a parent, but you're a child. You have a mama and a daddy. That should get all of us now. <clears throat> Jesus fed the 5,000. You know the story, powerful story in John chapter 6. Jesus said to the disciples, Where can we find some food to feed all this crowd? And the disciples said to him, there's nowhere near, there's, we don't have money to buy, and there's no place to go. And Jesus said, well, what do we have? And one of the disciples said, well, here's a little boy. He had five loaves of barley bread and two loaves of fish, or two, two little fish. And the faithless disciples, you know, if they had been with Jesus a while and seen the miracles and seen him raising the dead and opening blinded eyes, maybe they wouldn't have been so faithless. But they said, we got a little boy, he's got a little lunch, but what is that among so many? In other words, we don't believe. Why do you not believe? Why do we not believe? Oh, it got quiet now. 
All you preachers that are here, which one of y'all want to come now? Because I have killed it. What is it among so many? But they took it to Jesus. And the Bible says, Jesus took the loaves of bread and he gave thanks. He, he blessed it and he broke it. He gave thanks. And then he passed it out and told the disciples, give it to the people. And this little boy's lunch that was not enough, all of a sudden became enough. Because the little boy went a little bit further. You see, somebody told that little boy that he needed to be obedient to God. Somebody prepared a lunch for the little boy. No doubt there were some other little boys there that didn't have a lunch. No parents sent anything with them. We as parents need to prepare our kids for what they're going to face today and tomorrow. We need to put things in their hand. We need to put things in their spirit. We need to put things in their life that will prepare them for the circumstances that they are going to face today and tomorrow. Come on, somebody. And somebody had prepared for this little boy. Somebody got up and made a lunch. Somebody got some bread and some fish and put it in a bag for him and said, if you get hungry, this is going to take care of you today. And so the little boy had what he needed. And he went out and was there when Jesus was ministering to the crowd of at least 5,000. The Bible says 5,000 plus the women and children. There could have been 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 depending on how many family members each man brought with him. But there was a crowd. There was a lot of people. There were many people that were there. And this little boy, when they came to him and said, Could we have your lunch? If that had been some of us, we would have said, What are you talking about? No, you can't have my lunch. This is my lunch. My mama sent this for me. If I give it to you, I won't have anything to eat. He could have come up with all kinds of excuses. There could have been all kinds of answers that he could have given that day. You know the story. But somehow he, he had enough faith in him that he surrendered it to the disciples. He gave it to them. He gave what he had to them. There's so much preaching in this. I don't really even have time to, to preach it today. I mean, he went a little bit further. He decided he would trust God. And multiplication took place. Financial blessing took place for this little boy. There were miracles that took place in his life. And so he gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to Jesus. Jesus began to break it and bless it and gave it back to the disciples. They began, it, began to give it to the crowd. And when they gave it to the crowd, everybody had plenty to eat. And there were 12 baskets left over. The people started eating with only five loaves of barley bread, but the followers filled 12 large baskets with the pieces of food that were left. I don't know what they did with the 12 baskets. He couldn't have carried all of those home. Each disciple may have taken one home with him. The story I like better, the, the, the suggestion I like better is that they probably had 12 disciples. They needed a basket, they needed a disciple to carry each one, and they went to the little boy's house and brought 12 baskets home to him. The Bible doesn't say, so I'm just making a, uh, I'm just surmising. I don't know what happened, but I know that there was more than enough because a little, brother, little boy decided to go farther and because one of the disciples decided to go a little farther and because Jesus blessed it and broke it and they went a little bit farther. Oh, we have a new one. I don't know if I can work this one or not. This is high tech. 
Go right, okay? I've got it. Let's practice. Nothing's happening. My other right. Nothing's happening. Oh, there it goes. No, I didn't do it. They, they did it. Let's go back one. I wasn't quite through. There we go. A little boy went father. Somebody at his house, his parents went father. I want to challenge you. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, go a little father with your kids. Don't give up with your kids. Put something in them that can be developed. Put some, make a deposit in them every day. Get them prepared for what they're going to face every day. You do it one day at a time. You, you miss that. You do it one day at a time. Don't wait until it's too late. If we don't do something with them in the high chair, we'll have problems with them when they're in high school. I don't have time to preach. Go to the next slide. This one's not working either, unless y'all want to try to operate it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Next slide. Go a little bit further in your walk with God. In Genesis chapter 5, we read about Enoch. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. He walked faithfully with God, and he was taken. He was no more. E.T. didn't get him. <laughs> Contrary to what some, somebody might say, the Bible says he was no more. He was taken. God translated him. He walked with God. He was so close with God that God took him home to be with him. God took him away. What if we could walk so close with God that when our time comes, He just takes us? He was translated. I, I think I read that Philip and the Ethiopian, he was translated. When Robert Slayden was here a few weeks ago, actually when he was here in October, he told me about a pastor in Africa that's pastoring several churches. Now, some of you won't believe that, what I'm about to tell you, but that's okay. It's in the Bible, so I'm going to tell you anyway. And he said this pastor was, was pastoring several churches, and they were a great distance from each other. And this supposedly just happened recently, in the last year or so. And the pastor would be translated from one city to the next, because he had no car, he had no transportation, he didn't have a donkey or a bike or a bicycle or anything else. He was translated. And, and Robert Slairden, I don't know if he interviewed him personally or he talked to somebody that had talked to him. I think he might have interviewed him personally. Because he, he told me, he said, he asked him, how does this happen? And he said, the pastor told him, he said, well, I just get out and start walking on the road in the direction where I'm going. And he said... In just a little while, I'm walking on the road into the city where I'm going. He said, it just happens. And this had been happening for months and months and months. Now, probably 90% of you sitting there said, well, no, no, I don't believe that. Well, why wouldn't you believe the God that created man from dirt 
molded him and shaped him, and then breathed into him a breath of life, and he became a living soul. Why wouldn't you believe that the God that stepped out on nothing because there was nothing to step out on? And he said nothing to nobody because there was nobody to say nothing to. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he created the heavens and the earth with his word. Why wouldn't you believe that that same God could move a pastor from one city to the next if he needed to be moved from one city to the next until he could get the church growing and get some pastors up there that could take care of it? Why wouldn't you believe that? Enoch went a little farther because he walked with God. Next slide. If you want to go a little further in your vision, read about Abram in Genesis chapter 15. Sometime later the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. Everybody say vision. vision. And he said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. He had made him a promise that he was going to be the father of many nations. And he said, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. I will bring the promise to pass. And when Abram was a young man, they had no children. When he went past the normal years for childbearing with his wife, Sarah, they had no children. Sarah had a bright idea to, to give her handmaiden to Abram or Abraham and said, why don't you go in the tent with her and maybe y'all can have a baby together to be our baby. She's my handmaiden. Abram probably liked that. She probably didn't think it was the greatest idea later. Y'all get that one later. <laughs> and so they had a child, but it was not the promised child. It was not what God said. That was the God, that was the son of the flesh. When you get your flesh involved, you make mistakes. So they didn't have the promised child. They went on past childbearing years, but they still had a promise. They could have quit. They could have given up. They could have called God a liar. They could have said, it will never happen. If it was going to happen, it should have happened by now. How many of y'all have said that? Well, if it's going to happen, it will happen by now. If God's going to do it, he would have done it by now. If God's going to heal me, he would have healed me by now. And when it's not on our time, we often take things into our own hands. I'm preaching to somebody. But Abram decided they would go a little bit further. They would go on into their 50s, no child. Into their 60s, no child. Into their 70s, into their 80s, no child. Into their 90s, no child. Most people would say, it's never going to happen, not going to happen. Probably never was even a promise. But Abram said, I believe God. And the Bible says God counted Abraham faithful because he believed God. You have to make up your mind that you're going to believe God. And even when the circumstances are to the contrary, go a little step further. Go a little bit further. Don't quit. Don't go back. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't talk yourself out of it. Just keep going and being faithful. Just go a little bit further. And he went a little bit further. And when he turned 100 and Sarah was 90, you know the story. God gave them a son. When the angel appeared and said, you're going to have a son, they laughed. So they named him Laughter. 
The name Isaac means laughter. So they named him Laughter, and Laughter was born, and he was the promised son. And the only reason he even existed was because Abram went a little bit farther. Amen? Next slide. Go a little bit farther in your obedience. Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. And when everybody told him he was a foolish old man, it never even rained until that time in history. And he's building a boat in dry land. What fool would do that? How many of you, if you were going to build a boat, you would build it on the mountains of Tennessee? <laughs> Knowing that you've got to get it to the ocean to float it. Or oh, heard what you said. No, I'll just get it to the Tennessee River, okay? How are you going to get it off the mountain? Down to the river. He probably didn't build it where you would have built it. But the Bible says Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him you know when God speaks to you sometimes it doesn't make sense when God speaks to you sometimes it's it's crazy talk God talk is crazy talk God tells us to do something that that's absolutely does not make sense it's improbable it's unlikely it can't happen that's when you know it's God because he wants to show himself strong I mean when we got this building 20 years ago I, it's still a miracle to me today. And if you weren't here, it's probably not a miracle to you. You just come in and enjoy it, and we, we worship, we rejoice, and it's in a great location, it's convenient, it's easy to get to, we have our own exit. But 20 years ago when we came, I had no money. We only had a handful of people. The church was less than... 18 weeks old when I, made the, when I made the deal. Is that me? Is that better? We got new wire. We got new technology. And stuff happens. Oh, I got a different one. It's still doing it. You got to keep going a little bit farther. Y'all are getting it. Go a little bit further. But we started this church. We didn't have a place. We didn't have a building. And we, didn't, we didn't have any money. But we're here. And we've never missed one payment. Not one. No, not one. And in Jesus' name... One day it's going to be paid for soon, in Jesus' name. Amen? Next slide. Do that again. I like that, yeah. Go a little bit farther. Oh, we got to go a little bit farther. Got to go a little bit farther in your commitment to covenant. 
In Psalm 105, he always stands by his covenant. He always stands by his covenant. He always stands by his covenant. He always, you're not getting this, he always, God always stands by his covenant. The commitment he made to a thousand generations. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. If God said it, it's going to come to pass. If God said it, don't look to the right or the left. If God said it, don't go back go forward go just a little bit further because God will do what he said he will do somebody shout yes next slide I'm trying to hurry go a little bit further in your giving look at your neighbor and say I am a giver oh come on say it like you mean it I am a tither I am a giver because I understand the power of my seed I understand the power of my sanctified Holy Ghost seed. When you put seed in the ground, you can expect a harvest. The Bible says, cast your bread on the water, and after many days, you shall find it. Cast your bread on the water. After many days, you shall find it. When something leaves your hand, it never, never, never leaves your life. When you sow a seed, it may leave your hand for a moment, but it never leaves your life. You are putting seed in the ground so a harvest will come back to you. He said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give to your bosom. When you sow a seed, God's going to give back. You cannot outgive God. I've I've said it before, but Pastor Reed and I sowed a seed of a 2000 Suburban, 23 years ago. It was brand new, had 10,000 miles on it. It's a long story, I won't go into the story, but God said, sow that Suburban. We still owed $33,000 on it. We sowed it. You're sitting in the building that is the harvest off of that Suburban. Oh, thank you for your puny applause. I don't know about you, but I would, I would trade a $40,000 seed for, I, I can't even really put a number on it now. I used to say $5 million building, but you couldn't buy this building for $5 million now. There's an architect that I see every week for lunch in a group of men. We come together, and he builds churches all over the nation. And he says right now, he's telling people, pastors, churches that are building churches, they can expect between $250 and $300 a square foot to build a new church building, not including the land. This building is 43,000 square feet. We have seven acres of land right here on the interstate. Up and down this road, Land that is comparable to this goes for somewhere between $500 and a million dollars an acre. So you can do the math. At $300 a square foot, that'd be $12 million plus the land, seven acres. At just $200 a foot, that would be around $9 million plus seven acres of land. And you're afraid to release a seed, a $40,000 seed for a $10 million plus building? You're afraid to pay your tithe? 
you're afraid to pay a dime out of the dollar that you earn? So there's three reasons people don't give or don't pay their tithes. Number one, they don't know they're supposed to. But I just told you that. It's in the book, Malachi 3. He said, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Luke 6, 38, he said, give and it shall be given to you. So number one, people don't know they're supposed to. Number two, they're afraid they can't. They're struggling financially and they're afraid that they, don't, they can't afford it. They can't do it. But the Bible says, do it first. Pay your tithe first. Give the tenth first. Bring the first tenth. When you do that, then God's obligated to sanctify the rest of it and to meet your needs according to his riches in heaven. The third reason people don't tithe or give is because they just plan not to. They're rebellious. They'll say, it's mine. I don't have to. But the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Everything belongs to God, all of it. But when you learn to go a little further with your giving, if you're in trouble, if you're struggling financially, sow a seed. Pay your tithe, always pay your tithe, and then give a seed, sow a seed. Name the seed. I wish I had time to preach about naming your seed. But Jesus, the angel, appeared to Mary and Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Abraham and Sarah named their seed Isaac, laughter, because he was 100 and she was 90. So when you name your seed, you can expect a harvest of like kind. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children, when you go a little bit Father, Amen. Next slide. Go a little bit farther in your, your prayer and your worship. How many know it's hard to pray? Sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to pray. Some, sometimes you can come in like we did this morning, and I mean from get-go. Dr. Shirley came in here and started leading the, the students from Roar. People started praying. The Holy Spirit was here. But there have been times that I've tried to pray. And it's dry, and it's hard, and it seems like my prayers are maybe going to the ceiling and bouncing back. Anybody ever done that? And then how many know that when it's, when it's time to read your Bible and pray, you get sleepy? Am I the only one that's ever happened to? If that's ever happened to you, raise your hand. You get all fired up, you're committed, you're, you've, you've turned over a new leaf, you're going to pray, you're going to read your Bible, and you start. And 30 seconds in, you are so sleepy. You can't read the first scripture. You can't read the first verse. You are so sleepy. You try to pray, and all you can do is yawn. It's that spirit of sleep that tries to get on you. But if you'll go a little further in your worship... Today, some folks went a little further in their worship. When you go a little further in your worship, something happens. Breakthrough happens. I love the scripture in Acts chapter 16. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing. They were praying and they were worshiping is what they were doing. Praying and singing. Praying and worshiping. They were singing hymns to God. They were in prison. It was midnight. They were in prison. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be happy if I was in prison. Even if I knew I was innocent and I had been put in there wrongfully, and even though I knew God was going to deliver me and get me out, and even though I knew it was going to help somebody, I don't really want to go. That's just me. Maybe you're excited about going and it'll 
it'll boost your testimony and you'll write a book and sell a million copies and you're excited about that. I, I'd rather not have that part of my testimony. But that's where they were. And they decided in their jailhouse experience that they were going to worship God. They were going to sing. They were going to pray. In other words, they were there, they were stuck, and they didn't just give up. They didn't just quit. They went a little bit farther. So they started singing and praying and worshiping God, singing songs and psalms and hymns to Him, and the prisoners were listening to them. When you find yourself in a situation that you are bound, you don't have to be locked up behind prison doors. But if you are in a situation and you are bound, you are in captivity, you need deliverance, you need freedom, you are chained up, you are wrapped up, you are not in the best place, if you will make up your mind you're going to be a praiser and you're going to worship God anyway and you're going to pray anyway and you're not going to stop and you're going to go a little bit further, somebody is watching you, somebody is listening to you, you're going to help somebody. And the prisoners were listening to them and when they did, suddenly... Somebody shout, suddenly, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately, not next week, not next month, not next year, but immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. You, you got to get this. You, you got to get this. They are wrapped up. Come help me, Hank. I need somebody. Back to the headset. There we go. He's wrapped up. He's bound. He's in captivity. Now the thing about spiritual bondage is people might not can see it. But you know it's there. You know it's there. And what I know about Hank Brown is he is a worshiper. So Hank, give us some music over there. And I just want you to dance a little bit. I just want you to praise a little bit. I just want you to shout. And I believe that as he begins to praise and dance and shout just a little bit, I believe the chains will fall off. I want you to see this is what happened to all the prisoners. Stay right where you are. If you're standing up, stay right where you are. Just stay right where you are. 
what happens in the spirit realm is exactly what happens in the natural. What you just saw. That's exactly what happens. When you, you come into a place like this and you're depressed and you're oppressed and you're struggling with an addiction, you're struggling with a bondage, you're struggling with fear, you're struggling with oppression, your marriage is not what it ought to be, your finances are not what it ought to be, your kids are not what they ought to be, whatever you're dealing with. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with, but whatever it is, if you will purpose in your heart to start praising Him, don't wait till you get here. Do it at home. Do it in your car. Do it on the job. Because if you will praise Him, if you will worship Him, if you will sing psalms to Him, in the spirit realm, the enemy cannot stay. He has to back up. He has to back up. The Bible says, suddenly, suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Suddenly something happened. The foundations of the prison were shaken. And not next year, but immediately, 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 all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Now they're going to start playing again. And when they do, wherever you are in your walk, I'm going to challenge you to go a little bit further in your walk today. If you've already stood up, you're the ones that need to lead the way. Get out in the aisle and dance a little bit. If you're just sitting down, you need to stand up. Maybe you need to get in the aisle. Some of you, like I said, you used to dance more at the club than you've ever danced in church. But something happens, I promise you. When you begin to move your feet, something happens. When you begin to dance, something happens. When you begin to run, something happens. When you begin to spin, something happens. When you begin to sing, something happens. So for the next few minutes, this place is a house of prayer and praise. I want you to praise Him. I want them to sing. I want you to dance. I want you to rejoice and watch the chains fall off. I've healed the children, the move of your power's all over this place. 